Welcome to Afterthoughts, where I pursue the realities in Christianity through God's Word and different conversations. It is my confident belief that our views shape the way we live, so having views grounded in reality is super important. At the end of it all, it is my heart's deepest desire that you and myself would be seeking peace and joy in what Christ Jesus has done. Welcome back to The Conversation, everybody. It's your brother, Martin Trumbull, back at it again with another episode. And joining me, as usual, is Jason Pettis. Howdy. <laughs> and Caleb Bueller. Oh, well, I'm here. <laughs> I don't know what happened to Jason. Jason. Can you not hear me? Now I hear you. Oh, now he can. Oh, I said, I answered right away. I said, hi. I said, howdy, actually. Oh. And then I thought you guys were so taken aback that I used the word howdy that nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> well... As long as your recording device picked it up, it's all good. Um, so why do people walk away from church? And I, I worded this differently the, when I initially wrote it down. Why do people walk away from the faith? And then why do people walk away from um, uh, Christianity? But then I also, I read this to uh, some of the guys, older guys at the Bible study, and uh, they made the, defin- like they, they defined like, well, people walk away from church more than they do biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like nobody walks away from biblical Christianity, which was interesting. Um, maybe we could talk about, um, if you guys agree with that, what that means. But, um, yeah, what do you guys think? Why is that a thing? Because, I, I mean, we all know people personally who seem to be strong believers at some point in their life when they were younger, like really strong believers, and then something crazy happens and... Or maybe nothing crazy seems to happen. They just all at once, they're drifting, and then the next thing you know, they're like totally abandoning the faith. And we have public um, examples of this too with like, a, there was like a famous worship leader for Hillsong or something, but that's not a surprise. And then there's uh, Josh Harris, who um, mm-hmm. was a big thing for a lot of the homeschooled community when he dipped, because I know a lot of people loved, liked his book and hated his book. But mm-hmm. what do you guys think? Um, I think there's maybe a couple of different reasons why people walk away from the faith. I, I should preface that with, or not preface it, but I should probably restate that. I think there's a couple of different reasons of why people have expressed to me why they've left the faith. But I think I probably want to start uh, with my own experience when I was in college, you know, having grown up in a Christian home and... I don't. I'm curious how much you were aware of this. What was going on in my life, Jason? It might have been a little bit before I knew you, maybe. But there was a period of time in college. You guys went to college together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm. But we. But I was uh, having grown up in a Christian home. I was pretty confident in my own salvation. But when I got to college, what started to happen was I started getting involved with the wrong sites on the internet and stuff. And that Born. became something that was difficult for me to, you know, like I couldn't overcome it. I just couldn't get away from it for any decent period of time. And it it robbed me of any sense of joy or of happiness, you know, of any fulfillment in the Christian life. Or, you know, I felt like God was frowning at me all the time. And I think mm. for me, the big thing was that uh, people would talk about how... You know, you have the spirit inside and 
you have this power over sin, and then you've got the peace and the joy of, you know, the Christian life. And during that time where I really struggled with uh, pornography was I didn't have any peace. I didn't have any joy and obviously didn't have any real victory over sin. And so my question was, where is this reality in the Christian life? Like it just seems, at mm-hmm. least for me, it's just, it's a, there's nothing, no real substance to it. And as I talked to different people during that time, you know, different Christians who I had looked up to as a kid, uh, it, it seemed to me that I couldn't tell if they really had it or if they were just kind of faking it. And some of the people I was kind of convinced that they just, they didn't really have any substance. They were kind of faking it. I don't know if I was right or not. I don't think I was right in my evaluation, but that's the impression I got. It's like I, I could not detect any reality in them. And so it... it well, what was the, what, what do you mean you couldn't detect reality? What were factors in that? Well, okay, so people would talk about having joy as a Christian and you just see that they have this happy attitude that's not even quite real. It's kind of a, because it's only there on Sunday or when they're around with other Christians, it didn't seem like it was truly there. It seemed like it it almost looked like it was more put on. A cheesy kind of? Yeah, well, and people do it. Uh, I see it sometimes today, like when people go to worship and they, mm-hmm. the music gets started and they start to move and they're, you know, like their behavior changes a little bit as they get into the music and you can see them get into the music. And to me, that looks like the music or the sense wasn't in them from the start. It's when the music started, you know, when the actual band started playing that then the worshipful attitude or whatever it is comes upon them. And they kind of slide into this new uh, zone, worship zone or whatever. So it was like, it's something that came on them, but it didn't come from inside is what I saw these people with their, you know, their Christian life or their Christian joy. It just seemed to, if they got in the right environment, they displayed all the the neat attributes of Christianity. You know, I just didn't. And if it was. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was really coming. Like if it was real, it would come from. It wouldn't take music to get into it. It would already be there kind of thing. Right. That's what I kind of figured. And so since I couldn't find the reality myself, and I tried all kinds of different ways. I tried reading the Bible. I tried praying. I tried to throw myself into Christian activity, you know, whatever I could figure out. And I never could really find something that was satisfying in my heart. It was something I would have to put on. And so I got, uh, I feel like I got uh, within a hair's breadth of just walking away from the whole thing. And the only reason I didn't was because there was a couple people that I knew uh, and they appeared to me to have something real there. But so I knew there was something there. I, I mean, I just couldn't find it. And what's interesting is I had a friend at the same time who was going through a similar kind of thing. And we could really identify with what each other were going through as we tried to find the reality. And he was a really on fire person for the Lord. Like he would be out street preaching. He was talented musician he was serving the lord uh like it's like his job was working in a christian ministry type of thing and so we were both going through the struggle at the same time and as it turned out he left he he ended up divorcing his wife and leaving his family and stuff and i found it i found the reality i was looking for 
And so I, I went and talked to him and said, Hey man, there's, there is a reality here. I found it and it's, it's, uh, it's legitimate. And his comment, I remember at the time was, well, you know, if there's something real, he's like, God knows where I am and he can come get me. And, um, Away he went. So for me and for my buddy there, it was we we're not able to find that richness of life that that we believe that Christianity promised. Then there's other people I've talked to more recently, a couple people that have turned away from the faith. And it's it's hard to really identify what they're thinking because they're they're uh worldview has changed so much when they turned away from the faith. But, you know, it's not like you can walk up and say, say, well, why did you abandon Christianity? I mean, it's, <laughs> but in talking with them and, and hearing them out, I got the impression that the reason they left the faith is because they believed that Christianity promised them a way to overcome their sin and to live a, uh, a righteous life. And it didn't deliver. They kept on finding that it was a battle, it was a struggle. And the holier you got, the more of a struggle it was. And there was just, there wasn't any joy. It was just a burden to try to be good all the time, to be righteous. And when I, when I say righteous, I mean like, I'm not just talking about uh, uh, keeping the 10 commandments. I'm talking about in your daily interaction with people, how you want to treat people with kindness and, and even the attitudes of the heart, like, you be interacting with somebody and something they say really annoys you and it just irritates you and you realize, oh, I shouldn't be so irritated. And so you work against that irritation, trying to get rid of that irritation. And, and you pray and you go to the Bible, you know, like these little inward battles, uh, they never could find victory in. And so they said, well, then Christianity doesn't really fulfill. It doesn't live up to its promises. And then they just gave up, turned away from the faith. And and I think one of the common factors in each of these three, in each of these people that I knew or have known, both my friend from when I was in college and then the more recent ones, uh, they said when they turned away from the faith, it was such a relief. They just felt that mm. peace, the battle was over, the struggle was done. They could just relax. That's That sounds weird. And the one guy, his mom told aren't, him. Aren't you supposed well, I was just going to, yeah, the one guy's mom told him that, well, the reason that you're at peace is because you're no longer struggling against sin. You just gave up. And and I think there yeah. was some element of truth to what she said. But is that, see, that's the thing. Because don't people always say all the time that, like, you can't find peace outside of a relationship with Jesus, like peace and joy and all that. So that sounds kind of, like, weird that they would find peace outside of it by giving up, you know, and not trying to meet a standard or not trying to achieve anything and just accepting or that, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, so is that not true then that you can only find peace in Jesus or I, the, the thoughts that come to my mind with, with those things is, um, it, what you're hinting on, like, I mean, does, can you only find peace in Jesus? And, when when I think of people who are leaving the faith, what I think of is is people who uh, are in a church culture, which there are s- some serious mistakes in the church culture, which is pretty much every church culture, unfortunately. <laughs> there's some, mm-hmm. there's there's troubles going on, 
Mm-hmm. And then you you sort of realize like, oh, this isn't quite right. We're doing this wrong. Um, uh, and, and maybe it's not even an intellectual like, oh, I, but you just feel deeply like there's something really wrong here. And I would say like if you are all super strung up about, um, uh, you know, the way that you're describing those folks, Caleb, I mean, I feel like if if stopping following Jesus feels like a relief, then I think you're doing it wrong because Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Mm-hmm. And if you took, and if you take his yoke upon you, it, it shouldn't feel like a relief to put it down. And so then you wonder like, what else are you carrying then? Yeah. And I think of, um, uh, you know, church cultures can, can, uh, uh, here's an example. I think I remember seeing someone uh, on Facebook reacting to Christianity and had thrown Christianity out. It was because they were in a church culture where, um, it, like, okay, I don't know how to, I want to say this carefully, like the sinfulness of hum- humanity was, uh, this might not seem possible, it was a little bit overemphasized, but almost the sinfulness of the believer that we're so focused on the believer's sin rather than, like we we were before the podcast, we we're talking about Hebrews a little bit, and Hebrews talks about how under Christ you can be f- like there's a spot where you move into where there is no more consciousness of sin. And I mean that doesn't mean that we ignore the sin that we have, but you're you're moving like when sin comes up, you deal with it and move on quickly and move into the righteous sanctification place that you have with Jesus. I'm, and I'm not even saying like you stop sinning and so it's good, but it's it's more like you move, you get. Th- you, you confess that sin, move on, and you start back getting back to enjoying the forgiveness and the relationship that you have with him. And if you're just hyper-focused on how sinful we all are, and every message that you hear from the pulpit is always, oh, we got to be doing this more, and we got to be doing this more, and, and, and that there's a whole dynamic that causes that too, right? What's more gratifying to a preacher's flesh than preaching a message and getting people to change what they're doing, right? I was like, oh, yeah. I've but... Um, and so then if you're you're chasing if the preachers that you're in your life are chasing that where they're always trying to get you convicted and every message is I'm trying to convict you of sin and get you to change your life but there's no we've talked about in previous podcasts about the life of uh and the blessings and the power and the equipment to be able to do those things then you're going to be hopeless you're going to be spun wrapped around the axle and you're get when 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 you leave that yeah, that's going to feel like a relief because guess what? That wasn't the the yoke of Jesus that you were taking on. That was a yoke of bondage like Galatians talks about. How's that going? Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage is how Galatians puts it. And I think that's, I think believers can do that. So if you're coming out of a church culture, and I think that all these church cultures can have their little problems. And then to overuse a cliche, I think young people in that situation can throw the baby out with the bathwater. How do you not throw the baby out with the bathwater? Well, you throw the bathwater out and keep the baby. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, I feel like I don't know where else to go now because that was a good, that was like such a thorough answer. I'm like, okay, we can be done now. (laughs) Well, I think I've I've thought about it a lot as I've talked to these different people and tried to understand why it went all wrong for them. And and it was like Jason is talking about, it was like a bondage that they're in, that they're living up to, they're trying to live up to something that they're, 
that uh, isn't godliness. I don't I don't know how to how to really phrase it shortly, but basically what they were doing was they believed that Christianity would free them from all desires of sin or shackles of sin, like you would be completely sin free. And and there's different there's people that come up with different techniques on how to do that. There was one the one friend of mine, like he followed a couple of different techniques or a couple of different uh, Bible teachers who who said that if you if you do these things, you're going to have a victorious Christian life. And so he did them to the fullest of his ability and and found that it didn't quite deliver like what he had hoped. And as I thought about it, I realized Christianity, or I should say the Lord Jesus, does not promise us that we will have a sinless life, that we will be able to live perfectly holy, that we will be able to subdue all sinful de- desires while we're here on this earth. And I think in Romans 7, Paul kind of makes clear that as long as we're in this flesh, uh, in the flesh, there's no good thing. We'll always be struggling with sin. But what the Lord Jesus promises is deliverance from the judgment and the guilt of sin. Total forgiveness is what he promises. So that, as Jason was saying, that if I fall into sin and I do something that I, I know I shouldn't do or I treat somebody the way I know I shouldn't treat them, but I've, you know, I, I do what I know is wrong. I don't beat myself up because I failed. I don't need to. I mean, the, the Lord Jesus said, hey, you're forgiven. You have my unconditional love, uh, even if you fail. And so when I've sinned, well, what I need to do is, um, when, you know, as I realize how wrong I've done, to turn back to the Lord Jesus and, and look to him, my Savior, and see the richness of his forgiveness towards me. So what Christianity promises is uh, it's, it's a freedom from sin, but not the way we sometimes think about it. We think of freedom from sin as being sin-free. You no longer struggle with sin. But mm-hmm. I think when the Lord talks about freedom from sin, he's talking about... Uh, the obligation for sin, it's, he talks about it in John chapter 8. He says that if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And how does he finish that up? Oh, and if the sun makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Mm-hmm. The idea is when you, when you do something wrong before God, that ruins your, I mean, that puts a big, uh, break in your relationship, right? And the only way you can get that relationship restored is if you make right what you did wrong. You know, if you can, like say, if you stole money, then you pay that money back and and fix things that you broke through your sin, right? Anytime you offend somebody, the only way you can get back into the relationship, you have to make right what you did wrong. And so sin is the same way with God. If you If you sin, you're under an obligation to make that right in order to get back to God or in order to be free from judgment, uh, whatever, you know, to, to uh, find that peace with God. You have to make right what you did wrong. And the problem that we run into is we can't and we know we can't. I mean, sometimes you do something like if you say something mean or harsh or cruel, you can't take those words back. You can apologize, but you can't ever really undo what you did. And so you're under an obligation 
of having to make something right, and you can't. And so when he says the truth will make you free, what he's saying is the Lord Jesus will give you forgiveness so that you're free of that obligation. You don't have to fix this anymore. He'll take care of it. And that makes you free from the obligation and you're back into a position where you enter into the goodness of God, into the grace of God. You know, so it's, I think when he's talking about free from sin, it's not free from sinning, but it's free from the obligation and Almost the guilt like to pay back. The guilt sin. of sin. Right. The Psalm says like, um, I think it's Psalm, uh, is it 34? It's one, it's one of those. It's uh in the double digits, I remember that for some reason. Um, he says, you forgave. Uh, let's see. When I kept silent, um, it was like my, my uh, he describes this suffering of like just wasting away like in the heat of the day. And he was just so guilty. But then he decided to turn and confess his sin. And then he says the Lord God delivered him and forgave the guilt of his sin. I remember specific, like he didn't just forgive his sin. He forg- forgave the guilt of his sin. And he got this or, like this relief that he describes afterwards, which I thought was interesting. And that goes right along with what you're saying. I think it's right. Exactly. You're freed from the consequence of it. And, and Romans eight goes on about that. Doesn't it? It's like, if God is for us in that sense, who can be against us? Like, why should, why shouldn't we pursue um, righteousness? If we're like, if we're unhooked, if you will, um, from the consequence of our sin, like if we fall, which we will, Romans 7 describes that. Um, there's no there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus um, who are who are living in the spirit in that truth of while they're the sinner, Jesus died for them. It's like you can't go wrong. Like if you sin, it's forgiven and you don't, and the guilt is dismissed. And so that frees you almost to pursue righteousness um, completely, maybe. Yeah, I probably need to yeah. clarify something because you said you're free from the consequences of sin. And that's true yeah. in the sense of your consequence of your sin towards God. I mean, you might you might sin and still have to face physical consequences, but as far as right. relationship towards God is concerned, like he uh, removes all guilt. I mean, the, the passage yeah. that I was referring to in John chapter 8, Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And that's that phrase is what kind of caught my attention. Like, what do you mean a slave of sin? And it, and in in that day, when they when a lot of times when they talked about slaves, I mean sometimes you had slaves, people that were conquered in war, and so they were made slaves. But sometimes you had people who were in debt so far that they couldn't pay back their debts, and so the only way they could pay back their debts is if they were sold into slavery, and then the money that was generated when they were sold paid off their debts and so forth. So anyhow, their their idea of a slave was that a lot of times you would incur such a debt that you had that obligation to pay it off and you couldn't, I mean, you weren't free until that debt was paid off. And I think that's what he's talking about with sin is like you go in, if you commit sin, you have an obligation then to make it right. And you become a slave because you can't make it right, especially in particular before God. You know, if you sin against God, how do you undo that? You can't make that right. And mm-hmm. so he talks about then if the son makes you free uh, through his death on the cross, you know, to, to deliver us from the, 
the guilt and the consequences of sin is, with regards to God, and you're free indeed. You, and we know it's true. We know that he really does make us free. Where when we sin, we, we uh, fall out of the goodness, the grace of God. He restores us back into the grace of God. Well, that sounds super like um, almost, well, here, here's something I have written down to. I was talking to my mom about this subject early, and she said, um, and she gave me a list of reasons perhaps why people would, would walk away. Um, and one that she gave that I thought was interesting is people walk away from it because they don't need it. Like they're not needy mm. or considered, or, yeah. or rather they don't consider themselves to be needy. Um, and maybe to that type of person is might be disgusted with the immorality of the church the hypocrisy of the church is what she said and like because and and i i thought about that because i've met there's some been some guys i've hung out for a little bit of time like through college even before college a little bit um that were just really nice guys nicer guys um and and seemed to be more caring than a lot of people who called themselves christian and this guy was agnostic atheist um there's a couple of them and I run into him every once in a while. And it's like, and so somebody who thinks, well, I don't need it. You know, I'm not needy. And then like all these people, they they say one thing, they live a different way, you know, like the, they're very two-faced and they're just like, even morally, like not that they themselves might be moral, especially if they're atheists, they don't believe in right and wrong, but just the hypocrisy of that might drive them crazy. Or, or maybe they have their own moral standards. That's the thing that I'm, this one guy I was friends with, um, he was trying to come up with his own. We'd have conversations. Um, <laughs> some some nights, we because he went to the gym with we we worked out together. And uh, I remember one night afterwards, we were just kind of driving around. We got some ice cream. And he was saying, man, I need to come up with some morals. And, like, we we talked about mm. God and right and wrong. And I'm like, man, how, <laughs> like, how are you going to come up with morals if you don't believe in God? <laughs> but, but it was interesting because he knew that there was a code that he should live by if he was going to get the best out of life. Hmm. And so, and so with that mindset, like if an, if, if he had that perspective and what if his moral code is a higher standard than that of Christianity and the church and, and the church is the one that brags about being moral or like, you know what I'm saying? And so maybe that could be a reason I could see that being a potential reason. Although and I was just going to uh, comment on one thing you said, the, you know, having a higher moral standard in Christianity. And I know what you mean. It means that you'd live a better life than a lot of Christians would. But yeah. it's, yep. we in our study on Thursday nights, we're going into Revelation. And right now we're looking at the portion of God's throne and just kind of seeing a picture of what happens when God lets people go their own way. And they pretty much, mm -hmm. the picture it's painted is that they pretty much self-destruct because... His way is right. I mean, it's like, uh, how do you call it? Fundamentally right. And if you're going to go from God's way, you have to pick up some wrong because his way is absolute right. And so if you're going to end up picking up some wrong when you leave God's way, uh, if you continue down your own way, you're going to end, eventually end up with a self-destruction. It's just, just because... You know, <laughs> his way is absolute, right? Oh, okay. I think, I, yeah. Okay. So I think I know where I was going. So um, if anything, I hear, so I hear a lot of people in church and I even do this too. It's like people don't live 
there's a lot of hypocrisy in Christians. And so, Caleb, you just kind of, like, when you look at the gospel and you look at the forgiveness we have in the Lord Jesus and the freedom we have in that, it almost sounds like there's no challenge there. It's almost like you can just be yourself, you know, and, and God loves you. And, um, and it sounds like he's going to be working in your heart to change you, but it doesn't sound the cha- like a challenge. And, it, and it, it just seems to me, some, I look around and I just think Christians need to be challenged because we're like, you're hypocrite. There's no one's like, I don't know, shouldn't we be doing stuff? You know what I mean? Like, and, and like, um, I don't know, yeah. attacking this hypocrisy and sort of thing. What do you think? Does that make sense with that whole dialogue of the, the atheist friend I had who, you know, with the, the moral thing like that? Um, uh, do you see how those two connect or do I need to? Uh, I think so. It's kind of foggy. And so I'll answer what I think you're asking and then you can tell me if I'm wrong. But okay, I think one of the challenges that, you know, people who are trying to live the Christian life and they carry this heavy burden is a lot of times you end up, you're trying to purify your heart and, and we can't. I mean, the, as long as we're in this body of flesh, we're going to be faced with the desires that are in our heart. And it's not until, I mean, the promise is that when the Lord takes us home, then we'll finally be free of all that. So a lot of times with our heart, we bring that before the Lord and say, here's, you know, the wickedness that's inside of me. And, and we lean on his mercy and, and find his grace. But there is another part of our life, which is our actions, how we behave, how we treat other people and so forth. And that requires uh, a lot of work to act the way that we ought to act. Uh, learning to depend on the Lord, learning to rest in his love so that we do what we ought to do. You know, so it's actions versus heart. Um I think that they're connected, though. I mean, because I and I think the like, do, do we want to do? Should believers be challenged? And I think absolutely. You go through the New Testament, and there's tons of challenges uh, uh, at for believers. And but the the question isn't should we be challenged? It's how are we going to be equipped and empowered to do the challenge? And uh, we can do it by fear, <laughs> uh, you know, fear of consequence, fear of shame, fear of uh, you know, do it under guilt that we're doing all the things. Or we can be released from all of that and then voluntarily chase it. And it's almost, there's a, you know, maybe this is a common lingo. Is like, it's, is it a, I get to do this kind of thing or is it I have to do this kind of thing? And the gospel puts us in a spot where it empowers us to be able to do it. Uh, but then in a sense, it, uh, there's a part of it that's voluntary, you know, like uh, God gives you a gift. And then uh, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, stir up the gift. Like, it's there, like, stir it, like, imagine, like, this, it's kind of a little bit, there's some coals there, but you're not doing much, like, get a stick and poke it and stir it around a little bit and get that thing crackling into a fire, so he's challenging him to do it, and I would, I mean, and I think the New Testament says every believer is given a gift, and so it's like, we're challenged, like, wow, you have an awesome thing that the Lord has given you and a gift and stir it up and figure out what it is and use it for good. And like we, I think we talked about in our last podcast or the podcast before was like, um, we, we had asked about the question about whether does prayer change God's mind about things? Mm-hmm. And, and this would flow into this, like, okay, what, what is the incentive? I mean, you can feel like, oh, I'm under all kinds of guilt. I have to do this. Or it's like, 
you know what? God has put you in a position where you get to have an impact, and there can be people who show up in heaven because of the way that you engage them, because you engage them, because you talk to them in faith, who wouldn't be there otherwise. And you get mm-hmm. to do that. Now, and you could look at it as like, oh, the crushing guilt of the responsibility, or you could say, God wants to partner with you to do something awesome. And he's holding out his hand to you and say, let's do it. And you want to take him by, but he doesn't force you. He doesn't make it through guilt and fear and shame and driving. He's inviting you to follow him. And so uh, we definitely need to be challenged, but challenged in the right mindset. Hmm. And so if we were going to, so how might we do that? Like, what is the right mindset? Because, and I th- you kind of moved into where I wanted to go next was like, what can we do if we're concerned about this? Like what? And besides just, I mean, talking about it, I know is helpful and getting perspective and all that. And I know sometimes just hearing about why someone, this is kind of, I haven't really, I haven't really talked to somebody and asked them why, you know, anyone who was a Christian and walked away. Um, I haven't had a personal conversation with one tonight, so I feel like I'm a little ill-equipped for this conversation. But the point I was going to make anyway was that I know sometimes just hearing and understanding other people in my life so far has been extremely helpful. Just like when you have a sense of empathy and understanding, it can um, uh, help you with how you treat them and how you move forward. So um, that's happening now, I think, to some level, I hope. But what else can we do to move forward and to you know, I don't know, be helpful. What, what can I, if I have a friend doubting, you know, and I personally don't know what that's like. I didn't, I don't, I don't think I've ever doubted. I've definitely suffered because of, you know, my guilt, the guilt and the lack of peace, but I never intellectually doubted. So I don't know what that's like, but I don't, if, if somebody um, is frustrated with church and Christianity and these things for these reasons, like, um, I thought it promised that it would take away my sin and here I am. And if, if, if God is totally in control and why would he allow me to suffer with this battle of sin? Um, the, the, like, like if the God people talk about in church is one that loves me and wants to deliver me and give me this peace and joy, then he must not be real because I am suffering in my sin. He's not giving me that peace and joy. He's not taking my sin completely away in, in that sense. Um, it keeps coming up that uh, like there's misconceptions about what Christianity is, right? And um, yeah. and I think that comes back to having a a solid understanding of what the New Testament, what is what is the clear and simple teaching of uh, Scripture of, and particularly of the New Testament. And so you know, how can you help somebody? And it's like, well, I mean, having that background yourself so that when they say oh i mean i'm really feeling like this and you can say well does the, the, you know how, how is it that you can have it, it, um the example that we used earlier if you feel relieved when um you leave the faith then what was the yoke that you were carrying because it wasn't jesus's it must have been something else so to have i mean and um when we were talking about not you know, discerning the difference between the baby and the bathwater, it reminded me of this verse from Hebrews again. I don't know why Hebrews keeps coming up today. Uh, solid food is for the mature in Hebrews 5.14. For those who have had, I love this phrase, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That is not easy 
to be able to distinguish good from evil in the everyday of life. But that's what that's what these folks are doing. Who are they're they're getting it conflated. And when you say, how can we walk alongside? I think listening to them and empathizing, like you said, Martin, but also. Mm-hmm for us to have our powers of discernment trained by practice so that we can help them distinguish the good from the evil. And when they say, oh, I hate this and this, and it's like, you know what? You have a really good point there. I think the scripture agrees with you about that, that problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and maybe so that helps. And for me, that's always been the helpful thing when I get a, a, an idea or like, or get disillusioned with what's going on in a church is to come back like, okay, what is the script? What does the Bible teach about this? And for sometimes, and this is a little bit scary, but maybe I'll, I'll throw it out there anyway. Is um, especially people who have grown up in a Christian household, we sort of come with a lot of baggage about what these passages mean, and sometimes that baggage is not right. And so, like, try to carefully and with discernment, not with reckless abandon, reread some of these passages. But go from the from the um, perspective of what if I had never read this before and I was just reading it for the very first time? What would someone who was reading this for the very first time think it meant just plainly and simply? And uh, I think that again, it gives a refreshing standpoint and can also help you to start to to discern like, okay, what, what kinds of things, what baggage have I added into these passages that doesn't belong there? Or what is it actually teaching and what does it mean? Well, something else interesting with that too is I'm recalling now a few conversations I've had with just a couple of my friends who have had struggles, quote unquote, with like church. I'm struggling in church. I'm struggling to believe in, and and I, you'll be surprised they don't they don't read their Bible, you know, like they never have. What they're struggling with isn't even scripture, you know. In 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 one way, I think that's good because then you don't maybe don't have all the baggage of having you know the scriptures taught you a certain way, but. But what they're like struggling against isn't even the scripture. It's, it's, it's <laughs> a church or a religion to them. It's religion. Maybe it's a Bible believing church, but because they're not in the Word themselves, um, it's religion. If, if that makes so, sense. So yeah. So you're in a spot where you got to try to untangle like what they think Christianity is has got is probably like seventy percent wrong. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, so, and yeah, man, the... I've, I've, and some people like. Um, had a conversation with this one friend of mine and, and they were upset about something that was going on in church that like wasn't in scripture. Like, and that was a moment and I love to be able to do that. I was like, Hey, no, that's a valid concern. Cause, cause here's a thing too, is some like, let's see, I, I developed a relationship with some, a couple guys in college. These, these are different people now, but to make a point and, um, and, and we got to talking about like, I've been wanting to um, be more involved in different ministries and to be able to, you know, share the gospel more. And, and, um, and I worked out with these guys pretty much every night and um, we'd have conversations about stuff and like, and, and I think they'd heard, they've, they've heard me once or twice speak publicly and I'd be like, man, I just really feel that like that wasn't authentic and that was just flat and that was full of Christianese and stuff. And I was just pretty Mm -hmm. honest about where I was. And eventually like, I remember, um, one of the guys and I were, were getting ready to work out and um, I asked him what he thought of a sermon we had both heard and he told me he didn't know he could think about it. Like, I was like, did you like it or dislike it? And he's, he's like, I didn't know I could dislike it even. You know, like he thought it was off Interesting. balance and off limits to dislike it or even to discern. It's like, it's church, so it's God and it's right. And, you know, and another thing within his life too is, well, he didn't... And he didn't understand a lot of basic 
biblical principles, um, probably because like he wasn't thinking about it. I mean, he wasn't considering it, but he didn't feel like he was allowed to. And if like, if something didn't make sense to him, he's like, well, the problem's with me. So I might as well not try even. So that's been a thing too, but to come alongside people like that and to be like, Hey, that issue you see, um, the, like the scripture actually is on your side on that. Like that's a valid thing that you see. That's a valid issue and yep. it should not be there. And that helps them. I've noticed it's helped me become more independent and not so dependent on people and more dependent on God's word to find what's right because God's word <clears throat> is right. And sometimes people get God's words wrong. And so the more you can amplify that less dependent on people and more dependent on God's word, that's, yeah. that's going to be solid. Man. That is, man, that is good. Yeah, mm, that's interesting. Something else I would add too is that need to keep in mind uh, the goal of what they need to grasp. Because if they're, if a person, at least from, from my own experience, if I, you know, when I was struggling with the faith, what, I mean, I didn't understand the truth of the gospel. That was really what it boiled down to. And mm, yeah, that's the yeah. thing that you need to bring across. So it's, I've been studying in John 5, 6, 7, and 8. And there Jesus is dealing with these Jews and he's usually dealing with them in Jerusalem or at the temple. So like these would be the godly Jews. And in a few short decades or, or even less, or actually in the process while he was talking at that time, they were in the process of turning away from God because they were rejecting the Messiah. And so in a real sense, he's dealing with people who are departing from the faith, so to speak. Uh, and it's interesting in each of those chapters as he as he interacts with them and gets down to the root of their issue, he, ex he, he exposes to them that they don't know God like they think they do. And then he also tells them, if you come to me, I will give you life. Like I will bring you to God. You will, I know God, you come to me, you believe in me and I will um, bring you to God. Uh, so he's always trying time and time again to convey to them the reality that he is the key of a problem that I'm not, I'm not even sure if they really fully understood that they knew they had, you know, like they, the problem that he saw was there. I'm not sure that they understood was there, but he was the solution to that problem. Like uh, the promise he was offering is complete uh, restoration to God being brought into his grace and he could do that for them. And so I think, and when we're interacting with people, as we listen to their problem or listen to their heart and where they're, what they're struggling with, what we want to try to convey to them is the, the truth of the gospel that this is, you know, you've got these different ideas, but what, what Christ is offering is for you to be forgiven of the sin problem. You know, and I'm not sure how much you're aware of the, your own sin problem, but that's what he's looking to maybe. deliver. Yeah, that forgiveness so that you can be brought yeah, back to and God. Maybe you can, maybe the opportunity of somebody seeing the flaws in church is a great opportunity to um, bring that to what, why are those flaws there and why, why does God allow them there? And then what about you? You're not perfect, you know, and maybe not accuse them, but help them see that. An answer is less valuable if you don't have the question. Yeah. And the question in the case of the gospel is the sin. Like like you went on, I think at Winter Retreat, you talked about putting the gospel, God's love, into a, the proper context to understand it. And um, and so the and context the, is that we are sinners. Right. So the church was, is full of sinners, man. It was the big thing that changed for me when I, 
you know, I knew my problem and my sin, but I thought I had to get rid of my sin. And when I found that the yeah. solution was that the Lord Jesus had taken care of my sin, that was the big turning point for me. Uh, after that, that's yeah. that's when I found the reality of Christianity. You know, we had talked earlier about how people have peace when they they leave the faith. But the problem with that mm-hmm. peace is it's not a true peace because when you walk away from God, perhaps you get some respite for a little while, but eventually you're going to have to face God and you won't have peace. So it's not a true peace. It's only a temporary one. But when you come to the Lord Jesus for salvation, you are fully restored to God. There is no animosity between him and you. There is true peace there. It's a peace that's based on reality, not on just a mm. a temporary withdrawal from conflict. It's but I and so I think that's I, good. It's, I, th- it can, I mean, you can. There's, for Jeremiah, it comes to mind where he's like, you know, these the, the, the false prophets are healing the uh, hurt of the people superficially, and by saying peace, peace when there is no peace, and and making the people, you know, if a prophet comes and says, oh, just be at peace, maybe you feel some peace, but <laughs> in Jeremiah's situation, the reality was war was coming, and God was wanting them to do something about it, mm. and so that, that can be a very good metaphor for what Caleb's talking about, I think. Yeah, okay, so maybe I didn't under- misunderstand that, because I was going to say, because we hear that a lot, like, peace and joy, peace and joy, like, Pastor's always going on about these internal things. And sometimes if we don't have it, we don't understand it. It's like, that seems fake. Like you were going on about at the beginning, Caleb. And so it's like, like putting that peace into the proper context too. Yeah. Getting the, um, the true and peace. And helping people yeah. understand. Yeah. Cause I think maybe that's something people would be frustrated as they don't have the peace. They don't see how it's real. I mean, you guys say you have it, but is it real? I mean, it, like you just seem to be acting and some people are acting. And so that doesn't help either, but. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is, I mean, it is phenomenally real. The, you know, when you put it in a proper context that I as a sinner am hopelessly, hopeless before God, but he's taken care of the problem. Like he's brought me in to his fellowship, into his, the riches of his goodness and grace. Like that, like that's, that really, that really is done. He really loves me as a sinner. I mean, he really does. And there's nothing, no circumstance that can separate me from that love. I mean, it's, so when I see the context for real, the problem of my sin is where to, and my inability to to pay it off and the ability that he has to take care of sin and has taken care of it, that's where the peace and the joy come as a result of what he has done to save me. That's And then church is the gathering of the people who have experienced that, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Nice. So so if if people walk away from the church, they're not walking away from Jesus. They're walking away from the church. And the church is the gathering of the people of, of Jesus, the people of God. And so if you're not of God, if you're not born again, if you're not a believer, then of course something might be missing. Man, any final notes from either of you? The def- Maybe this isn't helpful, but from Hebrews chapter three, one of the takeaways I have from that is, you know, um, the the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews is trying to convince Jewish people, and he's using very intellectual arguments. But then when he says, "If you're rejecting this, it's not because I'm not persuasive enough; it's because of a lack of faith." 
you're hardening your heart. And so there's also that aspect of that to, to, to keep in mind as, as someone who might be working with someone is that, you know, you, you want to be really, I think, sympathetic and listening and trying to understand and trying to use your own powers of discernment to help them sort out the baby from the bathwater. But there also maybe probably is some, some rebellion happening inside of there, like, like it happens in, in all of us. That is really the undertone of the whole thing. Yeah. And that was another thing. Uh, another reason I had listed here is there are people who know it's right, but they just rather have sex or sleep around and among other things, but that's a different. And I think that was the reality that the Lord faced and he pointed out to the Jews. He, he said, you know, we were, it's not that it isn't clear to you. It's just that you won't receive it. You won't take the words of God. And then, and there is that reality, you know, we've, I heard this quote from Tim Keller secondhand. So I didn't hear Tim, maybe he didn't say this, but he said college people would come to him all the time, people who grew up in the in the church, and they come to him in college and saying, I'm really having questions now about my faith. And Tim's response would be, who are you sleeping with? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not an intellectual problem. True. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That's presumptuous, but... Very true, probably true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was one more thing. Oh. Um, well, I feel like now we could, nah, that would open up a whole another conversation. Maybe we'll just end it with this. Man, don't look to the church. Um, look to Jesus to provide you with, um, with all your needs, especially being forgiven of your sin. Um, and don't, you know, relying on people, people will fail. And if we're frustrated at church because we're, you know, asking them or expecting them to do something that they can't do, that feels kind of vague. But anyway, that's that. All right, guys. Well, it's been a pleasure. Good conversation. Um, and yeah, we're going to wrap it up and see you guys next week. Have a good night. <laughs>